Section 6 of Americans and Others. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 6 of Americans and Others by Agnes Replier. The Estranging Sea. God bless the narrow sea which keeps her off and keeps our Britain whole within itself. So speaks the Tory member's elder son in The Princess. God bless the narrow seas. I wish they were a whole Atlantic broad. And the transatlantic reader, pausing to digest this conservative sentiment, wonders what difference a thousand leagues would make if the little strip of roughened water which divides Dover from Calais were twice the ocean's breadth. Could the division be any wider and deeper than it is? We Americans cross from continent to continent and are merged blissfully into the old world life. Inured from infancy to contrasts, we seldom resent the unfamiliar. Our attitude towards it is, for the most part, frankly receptive and full of joyous possibilities. We take kindly, or at least tolerantly, to foreign creeds and customs. We fail to be affronted by what we do not understand we are not without a shadowy conviction that there may be other points of view than our own other beliefs than those we have been taught to cherish mr burrell endeavouring to account for charlotte bronte's hostility to the belgians who had been uncommonly kind to her says that she had never any patience with catholicism the remark invites the reply of the papal chamberlain to prince herbert bismarck when that nobleman, being in attendance upon the emperor, pushed rudely and unbidden into Pope Leo's audience chamber, I am Prince Herbert Bismarck, shouted the German. That, said the urbane Italian, explains but does not excuse your conduct. So much has been said and written about England's splendid isolation. The phrase has grown so familiar to English eyes and ears that the political and social attitude which it represents is a source of pride to thousands of Englishmen who are intelligent enough to know what isolation costs. It is of the utmost importance, says the spectator, that we should understand that the temper with which England regards the other states of Europe and the temper with which those states regard her is absolutely different and then with ill-concealed elation the writer adds the english are the most universally disliked nation on the face of the earth diplomatically this may be true though it is hard to see why socially and individually it is not true at all the english possess too many agreeable traits to permit them to be as much disliked as they think and hope they are even on the continent even in that strange tourist world where hostilities grow apace where the courtesies of life are relaxed and where every nationality presents its least lovable aspect the english can never aspire to the prize of unpopularity they are too silent too clean too handsome too fond of fresh air too schooled in the laws of justice which compel them to acknowledge however reluctantly the rights of other men they are certainly uncivil but that is a matter of no great moment we do not demand that our fellow tourists should be urbane but that they should evince a sense of propriety in their behavior that they should be decently reluctant to annoy there is distinction in the englishman's quietude and in his innate respect for order but why should he covet alienation why should he dread popularity 
lest it imply that he resembles other men when the tide of fortune turned in the south african war and the news of the relief of mafeking drove london mad with joy there were englishmen who expressed grave alarm at the fervid demonstrations of the populace england they said was wont to take her defeats without despondency and her victories without elation they feared the national character was changing and becoming more like the character of frenchmen and americans this apprehension happily unfounded was very insular and very english national traits are as a matter of fact as enduring as the mountain-tops they survive all change of policies all shifting of boundary lines all expansion and contraction of dominion when froissart tranquilly observed the english are affable to no other nation than themselves he spoke for the centuries to come sorbiere who visited england in sixteen sixty three who loved the english turf hated and feared the english cooking and deeply admired his hospitable english hosts admitted that the nation had a propensity to scorn all the rest of the world the famous verdict les anglais sont justes mais pas bon crystallizes the judgment of time foreign opinion is necessarily an imperfect diagnosis but it has its value to the open mind it is a wise man who heeds it and a dull man who holds it in derision when an english writer in macmillan remarks with airy contempt that french criticisms of england have all the piquancy of a woman's criticisms on a man the american standing outside the ring is amused by this superb simplicity of self-conceit fear of a french invasion and the carefully nurtured detestation of the papacy these two controlling influences must be held responsible for prejudices too deep to be fathomed too strong to be overcome we do naturally hate the french observes mr papis with genial candor and this ordinary everyday prejudice darkened into fury when napoleon's conquests menaced the world our school histories have taught us it is the happy privilege of a school history to teach us many things which make no impression on our minds that for ten years england apprehended a descent upon her shores but we cannot realize what the apprehension meant how it ate its way into the hearts of men until we stumble upon some such paragraph as this from a letter of lord jeffreys written to francis horner in the winter of eighteen o eight Quote, for my honest impression is that bonaparte will be in dublin in about fifteen months perhaps and then if i survive i shall try to go to america End quote. if i survive what wonder that jeffrey who was a clear-headed unimaginative man cherished all his life a cold hostility to france what wonder that the painter hayden who was highly imaginative and not in the least clear-headed felt such hostility to be an essential part of patriotism in my day he writes in his journal boys were born nursed and grew up hating and to hate the name of frenchman he did hate it with all his heart but then his earliest recollection when he was but four years old was seeing his mother lying on her sofa and crying bitterly he crept up to her puzzled and frightened poor baby and she sobbed out they have cut off the queen of france's head my dear such an ineffaceable recollection colors childhood and sets character it is an education for life 
as for the papacy well years have softened but not destroyed england's hereditary detestation of rome the easy tolerance of the americans for any religion or for all religions or for no religion at all is the natural outcome of a mixed nationality and of a tolerably serene background we have shed very little of our blood or of our neighbor's blood for the faith that was in us or in him and during the past half century forbearance has broadened into unconcern even the occasional refusal of a pastor to allow a cleric of another denomination to preach in his church can hardly be deemed a violent form of persecution what american author for example can recall such childish memories as those which mr edmund goss describes with illuminating candor in father and son Quote, we welcome any social disorder in any part of italy as likely to be annoying to the papacy if there was a custom-house officer stabbed in a fracas at Cesari, we gave loud thanks that liberty and light were breaking in upon sardinia what american scientist taking a holiday in italy ever carried around with him such uncomfortable sensations as those described by professor huxley in some of his roman letters i must have a strong strain of puritan blood in me somewhere he writes to sir john donnelly after a morning spent at st peter's for i am possessed with a desire to arise and slay the whole brood of idolaters whenever i assist at one of these services save and accept with miss georgiana podsnap's faltering fancy for murdering her partners at a ball this is the most bloodthirsty sentiment on record and suggests but a limited enjoyment of a really beautiful service better the light-hearted unconcern of mr john richard green the historian who albeit a clergyman of the church of england preferred going to the church of rome when catholicism had an organ and protestantism a harmonium the difference in truth between them doesn't seem to me to make up for the difference in instruments mr lowell speaks somewhere of a divine provincialism which expresses the sturdy sense of a nation and is but ill replaced by a cosmopolitanism lacking in virtue and distinction perhaps this is england's gift and assures for her a solidarity which americans lack ignoring or misunderstanding the standards of other races she sets her own so high we needs must raise our eyes to consider them yet when mr arnold scandalized his fellow-countrymen by the frank confession that he found foreign life liberating what did he mean but that he refused to drag at each remove a lengthening chain his mind leaped gladly to meet new issues and fresh tides of thought he stood ready to accept the reasonableness of usages which differed materially from his own and he took delight in the trivial happenings of every day precisely because they were un-english and unfamiliar even the names of strange places of german castles and french villages gave him as they give mr henry james a curious satisfaction a sense of harmony and ordered charm in that caustic volume elizabeth in rugen there is an amusing description of the indignation of the bishop's wife mrs harvey brown over what she considers the stupidities of german speech what she asks with asperity could be more supremely senseless than calling the baltic the ost sea well but why shouldn't they if they want to says elizabeth densely but dear frau x it is so foolish east sea of what is it east 
one is always the east of something but one doesn't talk about it the name has no meaning whatever now baltic exactly describes it this is fiction but it is fiction easily surpassed by fact witness the english tourist in france who said to sir leslie stephen that it was unnatural for soldiers to dress in blue then remembering certain british instances he added hastily except indeed for the artillery or the blue horse the english model comments sir leslie with all its variations appeared to him to be ordained by nature the rigid application of one nation's formulas to another nation's manners has its obvious disadvantages it is praiseworthy in an Englishman to carry his conscience, like his bathtub, wherever he goes, but both articles are sadly in his way. The American who leaves his conscience and his tub at home, and who trusts to being clean and good after a foreign fashion, has an easier time and is not permanently stained. Being less cocksure in the start about his standing with heaven, he is subject to reasonable doubts as to the culpability of other people the joyous outdoor sundays of france and germany please him at least as well as the shut-in sundays of england and scotland he takes kindly to concerts enlivened without demoralization by beer and wonders why he cannot have them at home whatever is distinctive whatever is national interests and delights him and he seldom feels called upon to decide a moral issue which is not submitted to his judgment i was once in valet when a rude play was acted by the peasants of Visoy. it set forth the conversion of the huns to christianity through the medium of a miracle vouchsafed to zacchio the legendary apostle of anivirs the little stage was erected on a pleasant hillside the procession bearing the cross wound down from the village church the priests from all the neighboring towns were present and the pious valaisans as overjoyed as if the huns were a matter of yesterday sang a solemn te deum in thanksgiving for the conversion of their land it would be hard to conceive of a drama less profane indeed only religious fervor could have breathed life into so much controversy yet i had english friends intelligent cultivated and deeply interested who refused to go with me to visoy because it was sunday afternoon they stood by their guns and attended their own service in the drawing-room of the deserted little hotel at zinau gaining i trust the approval of their own consciences and losing the experience of a lifetime disapprobation has ever been a powerful stimulus to the saxon mind the heroic measures which it enforces command our faltering homage and might incite us to emulation were we not temperamentally disposed to ask ourselves the fatal question is it worth while when we remember that twenty-five thousand people in great britain left off eating sugar by way of protest against slavery in the west indies we realize how the individual englishman holds himself morally responsible for wrongs he is innocent of inflicting and powerless to redress hood and other light-minded humorists laughed at him for drinking bitter tea but he was not to be shaken by ridicule miss edgeworth voiced the conservative sentiment of her day when she objected to eating unsweetened custards but he was not to be chilled by apathy the same strenuous spirit impelled the english to express their sympathy for captain alfred dreyfus by staying away from the paris fair of nineteen hundred 
the london press loudly boasted that englishmen would not give the sanction of their presence to any undertaking of the french government and called attention again and again to their absence from the exhibition i myself was asked a number of times in england whether this absence were a noticeable thing but truth compelled me to admit that it was not with paris brimming over like a cup filled to the lip with streets and fairgrounds thronged with every hotel crowded and every cab engaged and with twenty thousand of my own countrymen clamorously enlivening the scene it was not possible to miss anybody anywhere it obviously had not occurred to americans to see any connection between the trial of captain dreyfus and their enjoyment of the most beautiful and brilliant thing that europe had to give the petty adage tout homme a deux pays le sien et puis la france is truer of us than of any other people in the world and we may as well pardon a nation her transgressions if we cannot keep away from her shores england's public utterances anent the united states are of the friendliest character her newspapers and magazines say flattering things about us her poet laureate unlike his great predecessor who unaffectedly detested us began his official career by praising us with such fervor that we felt we ought in common honesty to tell him that we were nothing like so good as he thought us an english textbook published a few years ago explains generously to the schoolboys of great britain that the united states should not be looked upon as a foreign nation Quote, they are peopled by men of our blood and faith enjoy in a great measure the same laws that we do read the same bible and acknowledge like us the rule of king shakespeare all this is very pleasant but the fact remains that englishmen express surprise and pain at our most innocent idiosyncrasies they correct our pronunciation and our misuse of words they regret our nomadic habits our shrill voices our troublesome children our inability to climb mountains or do a little glacier work it sounds like embroidery but means scrambling perilously over ice our taste for unwholesome or in other words seasoned food when i am reproved by english acquaintances for the americanisms which disfigure my speech and proclaim my nationality i cannot well defend myself by asserting that i read the same bible as they do for maybe after all i don't the tenacity with which english residents on the continent cling to the customs and traditions of their own country is pathetic in its loyalty and in its misconceptions their scheme of life does not permit a single foreign observance their range of sympathies seldom includes a single foreign ideal an englishman's happiness says m taine consists in being at home at six in the evening with a pleasing attached wife four or five children and respectful domestics this is a very good notion of happiness no fault can be found with it and something on the same order though less perfect in detail is highly prized and commended in america but it does not embrace every avenue of delight the frenchman who seems never to go home who seldom has a large family whose wife is often his business partner and helpmate and whose servants are friendly allies rather than automatic menials enjoys life also and with some degree of intelligence he may be pardoned for resenting the attitude of english exiles who driven from their own country by the harshness of the climate or the cruel cost of living never cease to deplore the unaccountable foreignness of foreigners 
our social tariff amounts to prohibition said a witty englishman in france exchange of ideas takes place only at the extreme point of necessity it is not under such conditions that any nation gives its best to strangers it is not to the affronted soul that the charm of the unfamiliar makes its sweet and powerful appeal lord byron was furious when one of his countrywomen called chamonix rural yet after all the poor creature was giving the scenery what praise she understood the englishman who complained that he could not look out of his window in rome without seeing the sun had a legitimate grievance we all know what it is to sigh for grey skies and for the unutterable rest they bring but if we want rome we must take her sunshine along with her beggars and her church accepted sympathetically they need not mar our infinite content there is a wonderful sentence in mr humphrey ward's marriage of william ashe which subtly and strongly protests against the blight of mental isolation lady kitty bristol is reciting corneille in lady grosville's drawing-room her audience says mrs ward looked on at first with the embarrassed or hostile air which is the englishman's natural protection against the great things of art to write a sentence at once so caustic and so flawless is to triumph over the limitations of language the reproach seems a strange one to hurl at a nation which has produced the noblest literature of the world since the light of greece waned but we must remember that distinction of mind as mrs ward understands it and as it was understood by mr arnold is necessarily allied with a knowledge of french arts and letters and with some insight into the qualities which clarify french conversation divine provincialism had no halo for the man who wrote friendship's garland he regarded it with an impatience akin to mistrust and bordering upon fear perhaps the final word was spoken long ago by a writer whose place in literature is so high that few aspire to read him england was severing her sympathies sharply from much which she had held in common with the rest of europe when dryden wrote they who would combat general authority with particular opinion must first establish themselves a reputation of understanding better than other men that is the end of section six Read by Mary Schneider.